0: Well, good morning, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Sunday Morning. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, My name is A.B. Bishop, and I am in the studio in Collingwood, uh, but joining me via Zoom, as per usual in these uh, pandemic times, uh, is the lovely uh, horticulturalist and Karanga Native Nursery employee, Michaela Hamilton, and also uh, Evan Gorky from Oka Landscape. Good morning, guys. Morning. How are we?
1: Well, it's a bit weird not driving in, I've got to say. It is
0: yeah, I kind of miss the commute. Yeah, yeah. It's um you guys are really um quite quiet, so if you could um talk as closely as possible to your mics, that would be great. Um not not sure why that is. I've got you on as high as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, we we were just talking about how chilly it is this morning.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, we've had uh, so much rain in the last uh, little while that, uh, yeah, it does make it very, very cold as well. Are you not hearing me, AB?
0: No, well, I'm not hearing you at the moment, so I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Definitely have all my um, all my things in the right position. I'm going to try something else now, which is going to be a little bit clunky. So um, can you talk now? Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. Can you yeah. hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I can. So I'm literally. Can you hear me now? Yeah. So I'm just yeah. running right. you running you through the. Um, the um, studio mic, annoyingly. For the, yeah, the, the oh, so it's just
1: like being there. Just get a bit closer to the mic, please. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Uh, yeah, so it is. It's sort of gone to a little bit like um, back to winter again, as it tends to do, back and forth, um, warms mm. up and then cools down again.
1: Yeah, we've certainly had more rain here. Well I mean, up at Beaconsfield. We've had more rain here than I can, well, certainly in the time we've been here in 17 years. Um, it's never been this wet. And trees are falling down left, right and centre, not not on our place, but next door. I think they've lost six trees in the last three weeks. Whoa. It's just so wet. And then we had those big northerlies, which, um, you know, is not that usual when it's so wet. Um, and, uh, yeah, just trees falling down everywhere. Another one yesterday.
0: And I know that uh, Virginia Hayward um part-time host as well Uh, she had a massive one of the massive eucalypts down which um, was very disappointing for her I think she said it was sort of one of the structural trees in her garden um, tall and yeah I I was following her on Instagram and saw her chopping up part of it for firewood and so yes quite quite uh, devastating really and Mm. it's amazing isn't it in the last uh, few years, how it just seems to have become the norm for these trees to be falling down everywhere. Mm. Well, we
2: so wet. We had pretty bad storm damage out in our area, even at our work at um, a Native Nursery. We had a very large um, managum come down, um, which we've since utilised as... Um, Shelves, as we've used them as stools, so you know it's kind of trying to make the best resources out of these things as well.
1: Yeah, we um we've had a lot of big limbs come off the messmates down the back, but um, mm-hmm. I don't mind that because limbs coming down creates hollows, which you know creates habitat over time. So yeah. it's sort of not so bad when limbs fall down.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because we're in the bush and there's hardly been anything down. Yeah, I think it's because all the trees are protected by other trees. Uh, just literally, uh, where there's been little branches and a couple of big branches, but overall just nothing down except as soon as you get out of Bend of Islands a little bit where it's a little bit more open into a uh, kangaroo ground area where it's more about the farmland, There, when trees aren't protected, they're coming down.
1: That, that's exactly what's happening around here as well. So our area is is only losing limbs, not whole trees. Mm -hmm. But then if you look to the sides of us where the land's always been mown since um, about uh, the mid-70s around the mature trees, that's where they're all falling down.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. And
1: uh, and on farms where they've grown up in communities, the trees. They might be 80, 100-year-old trees. They've grown up in communities. Mm -hmm. And then for the last 40 years have been sitting out on their own. And Then you get this wet weather and... And, uh, and the, the wind, and down they come.
0: Yeah, and, and certainly, um, Michaela, you would have noticed that um, around Mount Evelyn and, and that sort of area, oh, yeah. there's just, it's been like a, a war zone. I mean, it's, it's,
2: yeah, look, it's pretty devastating, um, especially up around near Kalorama and the Mount Danong Ranges. A lot of big mountain ash trees have come down. Um, a lot of animals have lost their habitat, but also a lot of animals are now regaining habitat through that as well. A lot of people have been quite devastated by the storms as well, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, it just looked like an absolute war zone when all of that had come down. And, yeah, just what Mother Nature does, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I know... What, what, what? What's been interesting is we we moved here in in uh, two thousand and four and so that was really midway through the drought i suppose um and then you know oh nine it was obviously the fires and um, and and you see it in bird numbers and yeah. rabbit numbers. the increase in the last couple of years has been extremely noticeable so Although it's, uh, you know, it's wet and it's windy and all the rest, the bird numbers has, has really grown from when you look back to sort of 04 through to, to, uh, I guess about 2015, it sort of started increasing and, and it's just, it's every year there's more. This year the bunnies are just extraordinary uh, <laughs> everywhere. Never had it like this at all.
0: What are you or putting all. that down to, Evan?
1: Oh, it's 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 literally the the, the cooler uh, wetter weather. I'm sure. I mean, we we did put it with the birds. I always thought, oh, it's because we've sort of let the bush grow back around us and and so on. And I'm hoping that there's some truth to that. But when you when you look at the 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 timeline of how dry it was when we came here, and then how it's progressively become a little bit wetter and a little bit cooler through the summits, that's got to be good for um, for animals being able to rebuild.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I also wonder if you're noticing more birds because perhaps it's the bigger birds that are becoming more successful like the currawongs the and the um, the maggies and, and things like that?
1: Um, oh, no, no. We've got lots of, you know, lo- lots of wrens now, um, the cuckoo shripes, um Now, what was it? Roger actually identified a bird call for me the other day and now I can't remember what it was. Oh, isn't that the hardest
0: thing when you hear these calls and you can't really equate what bird they belong to? I get very excited mm. when, I hear a, when I actually see a bird and I hear it calling at the same time mm. and it's a call that I've been listening to for months or even years and finally I, I can attribute it to that bird.
1: Yes, yeah. You know, so I think the bird numbers have been excellent. And and we we actually had some ravens nesting here which I've never seen. So
2: okay. that's something different. Yep. Yeah, I... And all the
1: parrots. There's a spillion parrots mm. of all varieties.
0: Fantastic. All right, guys, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm going to introduce my guests again just because we were a little bit quiet earlier on. I've got uh, um, Evan Gorky from Oka Landscape and very proud of myself for getting the name right. And um, <laughs> horticulturalist and Coranga Native Nursery employee, Michaela Hamilton, so, Michaela, what's been happening at Keranga? I mean, I'm there one day a week, but um, there's, there seems to have been a lot of changes and there's certainly a lot going on.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, first and foremost, like I think probably my favourite part about work at the moment is that we have customers again. Um, one of my favourite parts about my job is being able to talk to people all day long about plants and things that I'm passionate about. So that's been really lovely to have people back. Um, I've noticed actually a few more people being a little bit more interested in creating habitat in their garden. So I'm getting a few more questions about that. I'm also back to the storms. I'm getting a few more questions on um, regenerating vegetation in their garden, things that have been lost um, and recreating that as quickly as possible um we've had a lot of really nice fresh beautiful stock come in um so during lockdown obviously our stock levels were low so we've just flooded the nursery um with a very nice variety of different plants um i work in ordering all the ferns in the for the fernery so i've just been ordering bulk of that and filling it right up um
0: it seems to be going out quite quickly as well doesn't it As much as you fill it up, it disappears.
2: So quickly. And, you know, the day before our opening day, we filled the nursery that you almost couldn't walk through it. And I only work work Monday to Friday. So we um, opened up over the weekend and I went back and it was just like there was nothing left. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's really great. And, look, everyone's so happy to be out and about again. So, um, yeah, it's been really great.
0: And, um, it's what I absolutely love about the nursery is it doesn't matter what time of year, there is things in flower the whole year round. And it, it's so, it's such a, um, good tip i suppose if you want to have a a garden that is in flower in year round visit a nursery every couple of months and and just see what's going on and that'll let you know what you've got in the garden that can help the insects help the birds um, bring a bit of color all that sort of thing
2: absolutely and i think even um we it's not only plants that we sell we also sell insect hotels and things like that too to encourage that um, but it's great because each week I'll have something new come in that's in flower and I'll be like, oh, I love that. So it kind of helps in my own knowledge of collecting things that will flower all year round and be able to tell it to clients or to customers and, yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, we're going to talk about a few of your plants later, so I might just get to a few community announcements. Um, being spring and with um, lockdown finally over there's quite a few uh, things going on around the place uh, so I should mention first of all these are uh, Open Gardens Victoria events Uh we've got the Urban Garden Design Talk and Tour and uh, that's on today and that's at uh, 7 Barnet Street in Hyatt, and there's four sessions. There's 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 1, a- 1 p.m., 2 p.m. Each session goes for one hour and includes a 15-minute talk and 45-minute garden tour. Learn how landscape designer Stephen Reed went about designing this lush, productive, and beautiful urban garden from scratch, and that's $30. Uh, so that's at 7 Barnett Street in Hyatt. And uh, all all of these um, gardens, if you want to get a little bit more information, you can go to the opengardensvictoria.org.au website. Uh, there's an online productive gardens workshop on Thursday the 18th of November from 7.30 till 8.30 p.m., Experienced food gardener Jian Lu grows over 80 varieties of fruits and countless heirloom veggies in her backyard. She will share her story of how she created her backyard food forest. Jian is incredibly creative in her approach to gardening and she will introduce you to her favourite weird and wonderful edibles that will thrive in your veggie patch. And that online talk is $15. Uh, Sunday the 21st of November there's the Western District self-drive garden tour and that's in Darlington and Camperdown from 9.30am to 4.30pm. Don't miss this chance to visit the Camperdown Botanical Garden designed by William Guilfoyle and three magnificent Western District private gardens. Morning and afternoon tea and lunch are included in this tour, and that's $190. The Friends of the Geelong Botanic Gardens have got a guided walk today, um, and it's called Changing Plants, Plant Adaptation. Many plants have have developed impressive features for coping with drought conditions. These adaptations are vital in a time of climate change. We will explore and demonstrate the strategies which they employ. And you may be inspired to alter the character of your garden. Uh, So that is today and it's at two o'clock. And the Botanic Gardens is the corner of Eastern Park Circuit and Podbury Drive in East Geelong. That's a gold coin donation. And if you're going, you can meet the guide at the front steps Uh, Next weekend, there's the um, Fantastic Yarra Valley Plant Fair, by, um, which is run by Diane Clive Larkman. So this is at 125 Quail Road in Wondon. Um, it's on both Saturday and Sunday. There's a lot going on, so you can go to the website to see exactly what's happening, and um, there'll definitely be something up your alley there. So that's the au. Uh, there's talks and demos and plant sales and all sorts of things. They literally have every... Garden thing covered that you could possibly think of. The Friends of Burnley Gardens are inviting people to an illustrated talk via Zoom um, by Robert Boyle, 50 years of making gardens in Australia. This is on Thursday, the 18th of November, at seven o'clock for 7:30 p.m. I guess you bring your own nibbles and cocktails. Um, For over 45 years, Robert and his team have been creating gardens for people of every walk of life and from every part of the Australian community. Robert is committed to designing and creating beautiful and functional landscapes for people to live in, work in, rest in and in which to be inspired and refreshed. The range and style of his work has been as diverse and as varied as the places and the people. From broad-scale landscape planning, restoration and conservation for governments and industry, gardens for schools and institutions, memorial gardens and cemeteries, magnificent country landscapes, suburban gardens and walled city gardens, every site and person presents a new and exciting challenge for Robert and his team to strive to create something of beauty. Uh, so, yes, via Zoom, 7 for 7.30 p.m., $10 for members and $20 for non-members. And uh, you can go to uh, trybooking.com/slash slash um, i I'm sure you can go to the Friends of Burnley Gardens uh, site as well, and, and that information will be available there. Um, now, this is something that we'll... No doubt talk about a little bit afterwards, guys. So this is, um, yesterday was the start of the Australian Pollinator Week. And there's a lot going on around the country. So I've, I've got a few things to chat about. Um, So there's a foundation which is called the Wean Bee Foundation, which is a not-for-profit charity which essentially promotes the awareness of the importance of um, bees and other pollinator insects for food security, and it also raises funds for research. And um, the Ween Bee Foundation came about after Gretchen Ween, who was one of Australia's best-known beekeepers. Uh, she actually bequeathed her estate to fund the fund the um, foundation. Gretchen was one of the first suppliers of quality queen bees to Australian and international commercial beekeepers. Um found out that story just recently. I thought it was quite interesting. And this foundation engages with all levels of government, uh, the um, apiculture industry, bee-reliant food industries, universities, research organisations and community. And they're sort of like the custodians of various programs, including one called Bee Friendly Farming. And that, this particular one works with land managers um, and they sort of commit to providing habitat for pollinators. And they've also recently launched a um, project called Bee Friendly Gardens, which is the same sort of thing. It's just about um, getting on, becoming a member of it and committing to um, creating habitat um, year round pretty much so that you have a constant supply of flowers for the pollinators um and there's the so the Australian Pollinator Week which was founded by Dr Megan Halcroft in 2015 and this acknowledges our important and unique insect pollinators it's a week when communities businesses and organizations can come together to raise awareness of the importance of pollinators and support their needs um, there 's various events there 's a pollinator picnic, so there 's events around the country and you can hop on and just see what 's going on in your state um, there 's a pollinator picnic um, there 's a global waggle dance challenge, which is very, very cute and you can hop online and see what um, other people have uploaded so essentially um, replicating the waggle dance that bees do and it 's very, very cute. And there's also the wild pollinator count, and you, you don't have to um, be an insect expert or anything. You can um, literally get on and, and narrow it down to fly or, or wasp or even flying insects. So you don't you don't have to be an expert, um, but um, researchers around the country really like the information that people put in with these um, sort of challenges and so they can work out what insects are around the place and um, all that sort of thing. And I I should uh, note that... um, they, they have come up with a little song to, to go along with Pollinator Week, which is, uh, very, very cute. So I'm actually going to play it now. So, well, hopefully I'm going to play it. Um, it's a song by Amelie Ecology and Ruben Ryan. And it's a, it's, was created for Australian Pollinator Week. So you can go online and, um, check it out. And it's got a really cute video that goes along with it. Uh, the song goes for four minutes, but I'm just going to play a, about a minute of it. Um, we don't usually play um, songs on the show, so uh, let's see how we go. Play it for us now.
2: Where grow and basil blooms. Pollinator Week, and it's coming to you. Do they have four wings, or do they have two? Where their eyes are placed. Now that's the real clue. So take a walk, bring a pen when the flowers smell sweet. Who will you meet this pollinator week?
0: Well, that was Australian Pollinator Week by Emily Ecology and Reuben Ryan and that was for... Strange enough, Australian Pollinator Week. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Ab Bishop, and I am joined via Zoom with Michaela Hamilton and Evan Gorky. Uh, I guess we should invite uh, listeners to. You can't actually well, you can ring in, but we won't put you to air just because of the way of the studio set up at the moment. Um, but we can certainly still answer your questions. You can ring us on nine four one nine oh one double five or you can text us on 0488 809 855. Or you can email us during the week. Uh, I won't be able to get to the emails now, but we could certainly answer any questions next week at gardening at 3cr.org.au. So, guys, um, I know... That
1: could, ev- that, could be a morning, that, that could be a morning song, couldn't it? <laughs> you know, you could uh, do the waggle dance uh, every, every morning. Get you up, get you going. Get
0: get you moving.
1: (laughs) I mean, your moves were extraordinary, A.B. Oh, thank (laughs) you. Yeah,
0: yeah, thanks. Could you guys hear that song?
3: Yeah, it was
1: Uh, so so cute. cute quiet in my
0: head but yeah it's very cute and and worth going online to check it out because as i said there is a a little video that goes along with it and that sort of describes exactly what they're talking about and gives good references to uh different pollinators and of course as we know there are plenty of them including bees evan and including flies (laughs) including flies yes including all sorts of things
1: yes we we just got bees that's right so um I'm not I'm not it's not my department. Sonia's uh it's Sonia's department. But um Yeah, it's it's very exciting. So we've only had them a couple of weeks, so they're just settling in. Um they've all got names <laughs> and um they're all doing very well. Oh good, good.
0: Um so what are they, like Buzz One and Buzz four hundred and fifty five oh, and Mary and <laughs> Josephine and so
1: on. Yeah. Excellent. And Michaela, what
0: what's your contribution to Australian Pollinator Week, can I ask? Are you there, Michaela?
2: Can you... Oh sorry. Sorry. What was the question? I was just saying
0: what's what's your contribution to Pollinator Week?
2: Um, well <laughs> coincidentally enough. I actually got a tattoo of a bee last weekend.
0: I think it's brilliant, and you didn't know it was Pollinator Week.
2: No, and I'm just that dedicated to um, pollinator populations, that I just support them for my whole life. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And was it a native bee? Well, I did consider putting some blue little bands on it, but I thought I'd keep it nice and simple. Um, It just looks like a generic bee, so I'm not biased, but... (laughs) After doing a little bit of research for Pollinator Week, I found out um, what teddy bear bees look like. Um, and I think I'm a little bit biased on who's my favourite now because yeah. they're very, very cute. They are. Now,
1: what's a teddy bear bee?
2: Um, it's exactly how the name sounds. So they're fat little furry bees. Um, they're very, very cute. Um, and they also can be found in Victoria. So,
1: yeah. Very good. Is that, well, that like is, the ones yeah. that you have in Tasmania, the, the larger the larger bees? Oh, they're the, the bumblebees. The major, they're the, the bumblebees, bumblebees bees that shouldn't be in there. In Europe? Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're different. Um, so the bumblebees have got a the similar buzz pollination to our blue-banded bees, which is where they fly into a flower and, and do a little head banging move at something ridiculous like 300 head bangs a second or something to, to pollinate the flower.
2: But what kind of bees did you get, Evan?
1: Well, I, I understand they're Italian of Italian descent. Oh. So, uh, but a bit of a mix. We just got them from a local local fella who came and, and dropped them in the other day. Um, so I don't think this cold weather's all that good for them to get started, though, so we're looking forward to some warmer weather to get them keep, get them out and about, otherwise they'll freeze to death.
0: And who's going to manage them, Sonia or the guy that dropped yeah. them off? Son, Sonia, will uh, them? Sonia will manage them?
1: Sonia will manage We We bought a flow hive. We bought it oh. about a year ago and uh, just been waiting for spring and doing the research and, um, you know, joining a, a local club uh, and all of that type of thing to to sort of get the whole show on the road. But our our neighbour uh, put some bees in, or two doors up, put some bees in about a month ago, and uh, oh, the increase in bee numbers uh, uh, was amazing. So they were established hives, I think, that have been put there by you know a contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the increase in bees was really really noticeable.
0: Okay. And do you have veggies and fruit in your garden?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: indeed.
0: Yeah, and is, is that one yeah. of the reasons why you've chosen to get bees or is it just you want the honey, a bit of both? Yeah,
1: no, it's just a cool thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the honey is nice as well. We have friends that have a Flow Hive and it's just a really um, nice thing uh, to be able to turn the tap and get a bit of honey out. And you can look in because they have little windows, so you can look in and see what's going on inside without opening it. Um, yeah, so it's just a really nice thing to
0: have. Yeah they're, they're a good set up the flow hives and I like that you don't disturb the bees and you don't squash them when you're taking the lid off uh, I think with the normal hives there's always a few casualties unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Well you still have to do that kind of maintenance that, that means you need to open it up and inspect and, and do all those sorts of things but um, yeah for actually extracting the honey it's a, it's a much easier process of course mm-hmm. yeah but for pollinators here I mean Every year, it's something different. We have uh, four avocado trees uh, outside my office window. And, and every year, it, it seems to be different pollinators. Like last year, hoverflies were just everywhere. Um, this year, it's, it's blowflies and, and bees.
0: That's, that's um, really weird because in my glass house, there has just been so many blowflies and I've never had that happen before. It's the most bizarre yeah. thing.
1: We get blowflies every year at at this time of year. And and I remember um, when we used to uh, maintain schools, it was really common at this time of year to get these big, slow-moving blowflies. So it's clearly a species that's always around at this time of year. And you'll often see them all over euphorbias. They seem to love love euphorbias. Um, But they are a really important uh, pollinator as opposed to bees. In fact, I think flies are nearly the the largest pollinator in in Australia even though we hate flies in the house
3: yeah
0: sure well,
2: do Australia's filled with plenty of flies that's for sure <laughs>
0: probably for a good reason yeah. yeah and of course we shouldn't forget bats bats are excellent pollinators as well and they're not really counted in pollinator week but they should be <laughs> <laughs> They should be. Look, yeah. guys, um, we've got a um, – someone has rung in. So Bron from the eastern suburbs um, would like some help with a waterlogged macadamia. The tree is approximately six foot. Um, it's, um, it was in a pot. Can she put it on the west side of the house should she trim the roots? Um, so I'm assuming it's so been it's waterlogged in a, in a pot. pot. Is, yeah, sounds is, like is it. Is that what she saying? It sounds like
1: it. Yeah. Um, well, they they do grow um, well, and they are a very tough tree. Mm. So um, I don't think I would have an issue planting it on the west side um, of a building. Um, they get they get quite big.
3: Mm. So
1: as long as she's aware of that, you know, they can get four or five meters tall. Um, they have a, a wonderful floral display when they're out, and they do get lots of insects zooming over them.
0: Yeah, it, I guess it does make sense if it's um, getting waterlogged. Being in the Proteaceae family, they do tend to prefer it a bit drier rather than moister. So, um, but it, it's surprising that it was getting waterlogged in a pot. Maybe the pot wasn't, uh, or maybe it was sitting directly on the ground and not being able to drain properly. And, and that, that's, a, I've noticed, a, a fairly common problem. People have been coming into the nursery showing uh, pictures of grass trees and and different things that essentially have been pretty much waterlogged. They're in pots and just because mm-hmm. they're sitting on the ground and we've had so much rain.
1: Yeah, so we went through years and years of saying, oh, it's probably a bit dry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, oh, it's probably a bit wet. Yeah. You might want to build it up a little bit. Yeah. But it, it is absolutely a problem. We have so much standing water around the place. Um, it's, uh, it's really difficult. Even mowing our small patch of grass, um, is difficult at the moment. Mm. And you just have to pick your days. You need yep. three or four dry days before you can get onto it. Yeah. it's never been that way so waterlogging plants is going to be a big big issue and often waterlogged plants look a little bit similar to plants that are drying out they'll they'll yeah. sag their leaves and so on and uh, and the temptation is oh i better water that you know because it might be a warm day and you think that it's 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 drying out but actually it can be the opposite that's why it's often a hard thing to mm. uh diagnose on radio whether something's why it's why it's suffering
3: Yeah,
2: Even even at work recently, like I've had an increase in customers coming in saying, oh, my tree's dying or, you know, this is yellowing off a bit and things like that. And once again, same thing. It's all the water logging. It's all the rain we've had, which can be excellent. But also same thing, like a lot of plants are struggling from that. And I'm definitely noticing it with customers at work.
0: Mm, and one of the first things that we do sometimes even as experienced horticulturalists is want to water the plant it's looking a bit poorly so oh must give it a bit of a water but really that can be the the worst thing that we can do at the moment
1: yeah stick a digit in the in the soil that's the key yeah
0: i've got one of those moisture probes and it's Fantastic it because you just um sometimes even if you scratch the the surface, it doesn't really give you an indication of what's happening a bit lower, and it's mm. yeah for me they're invaluable, just even as a sort of learning tool, wandering around seeing where the water is soaked in and what's been affected and what hasn't mm.
2: yeah. yeah um, when I was a gardener with clients, I'd use that a lot. Um, if a garden bed was going off a bit or you know couldn't quite solve what it was, Usually checking the moisture with that probe was always a really great way of kind of coming down to the bottom of that and then figuring out the next plan on how to um, manage the amount of water that it was being given.
0: Yeah, and Michaela, you've um, got a lot of uh, indoor native plants or you're certainly building up a collection. So do you want to talk us through a few of what you've got and I suppose how you manage them? Because I've seen photos and, boy, they look super healthy.
2: Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Um, So I'll just name off a few that I've got. Um, So I've got kangaroo vine, I've got scrambling ground fern, I've got rough maidenhair fern, Bird's nest fern. You can see I'm a little biased to the ferns. Um, <laughs> rock orchids and the Morton Bay fig, which mm-hmm. seems like quite a surprising sort of um, indoor plant to have, considering it's a tree that can grow up to thirty meters.
1: Um, <laughs> and and why? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, definitely don't plant that one in the suburban backyard because they get very large. Um, but I found it to be quite successful as an indoor plant. and you know right now I be an to time seed in my background. Um, so I found with that one, I spray and wipe the leaves quite often to avoid dust sitting on there. Um, I probably put it in the bath every two weeks just so it gets a nice bit of moisture. But I've found with it not to overwater. Um, it requires good drainage, so I don't I haven't planted it directly into a pot, which I've found with most indoor plants is a great way to go mm. about it. Just use pots as covers, um, so then you can control the drainage a lot better and the amount of watering. Um, so that's a really great one that i found very successful. It's what, now, what
0: do you wipe the leaves with?
2: Um, I personally just wipe it with water at the moment, Mm -hmm. like I don't, unless, like sometimes maybe a bit of detergent possibly. Um, but yeah, I just get like a nice wet cloth and just wipe it down really. Um, then also the bird's nest fern, um, so that one... I've found very successful, I barely water it, which mm. is a bit bad, but it doesn't really require very much, I've found, um, I find the main thing is just misting the leaves, giving it a little bit of moisture, um, I've also found with that, that the pot I've got it in has actually stunted its growth a bit, so mm. it stayed quite small and compact, which has obviously been great, because I'm running out of space to put the plants, <laughs> um,
1: Epiphytic plants are obviously fabulous, That's aren't they? Right. Indoor plants. And, and right. they don't require a lot of water. And when you think about where bird's nest ferns grow naturally, they're growing okay. up in, in a canopy where they don't have roots in soil that, yeah. or really that are holding any moisture, but mm. they are um, reliant on the drizzle or, or the mist or whatever's okay. just coming through.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and um, on top of that also I grow indoors uh, is Dendrobium kingianum, so mm. rock orchids, mm. found incredibly successful once again because they don't require much moisture, um, and I actually got mine to flower this year, which is really great. Um, I also grow a great alternative to the maidenhair fern. As we all know, it can be very temperamental and a little bit tricky, so I grow the rough maidenhair fern um so that's adiantum hispidulum. so with that one I just miss the leaves every now and then um I give it a good drink every two weeks um but I found with that one it prefers it a little, to be a little bit drier um I found that it's been incredibly hardy which has been great um one of my special uh native indoor plants which is probably a little bit rare is the scrambling ground fern so it's actually listed as an endangered species in Tasmania um it's done incredibly well in my bathroom um it's got a uh, very fine delicate sort of foliage on it quite as the name suggests scrambling um so that's been very successful I've, that looks really great um the other one that I really like is the kangaroo vine. so that one I've only recently started trialing out but so far it's done really well um that one does require a little bit more moisture. Well, same thing again. The main, the overall maintenance of my indoor plants is just like misting, um, drainage, um, watering and feeding as well. So in the warmer months, most of them I'll give like a slow release fertilizer probably. Um, Can you
1: describe the kangaroo vine? That's not, not a plant I'm familiar with.
2: That's okay. So um, it has, it's also called the native grape as well. So it's quite similar to a grapevine. It has little tendrils on it. Um, It it actually can grow berries on it that are edible. Um, It's, yeah, it's quite a vigorous climber too. So something to definitely keep on top of. But yeah, its leaves are quite glossy. it does produce very insignificant small velvety sort of flowers on it um yeah it's a lovely one and it's nice because yeah it's nice to have it in a pot cascading over a shelf or you know things like that but yeah i found it to be really um yeah quite successful i guess being a
0: vigorous vine outside that can be one of the indicators of whether it's going to be successful indoors
2: yeah, well, i found found, um, since I've done a little bit of research into it, that apparently it can actually thrive. Like, the more shade it's in, the better it'll thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping it indoors um, has obviously worked really well for it. Um, and the same thing applies to the orchids too, in terms of how well they flower, the more shade, the better. Um, I guess
1: a, a few of the plants you've sort of spoken about are big plants.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, if if they just let to grow. so. Maybe that's one of the tickets.
2: I think so too. Absolutely, um, and I think that, yeah, as I said before, even with the maiden, the rough maiden hair fern, the bird's nest fern, and the Morton Bay fig, like since also keeping them indoors, it probably does. Um, deter their growth a little bit to what they would naturally be outdoors. So it's kind of good in terms of, you know, keeping a 30-metre tree in your house. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do I wake up one morning and the, the whole tr- the whole house is um, filled up with plants. Well, it's
1: obviously a very close relative to the, the 1970s popular rubber tree that was always yeah. in everybody's um, everybody's lounge room. Yeah. Um, so it's a very similar beast, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'm also, yeah, just a little bit biased on them being native as well. So, um, yeah, I find it quite exciting that I can teach that indoors. Um, but had- also I also do have other non-native um, indoor plants too. <laughs> I, I do like that you're
0: experimenting <laughs> with the natives because when people come to the nursery, I mean, really there's – limited ones that we suggest for indoors but i think that's just because not many of us have experimented with a lot of them we just indoor mm-hmm. plants have always tended to be exotic so um yeah. i think, I think yeah, you need yeah. to continue the good work Michaela. thank you
1: i have seen i have seen agathis grown as an indoor plant okay oh, yeah. so that is a ginormous tree yep um uh, the cowrie pine mm. And, and mm. that, that grows pretty well. The other plant that I think would probably do quite well would be Potocarpus.
2: Oh yeah. Yep. Because you yep. do
1: see that in pots and I know of some in pots in a very, very shaded location and they, they are very full. So again, a rainforest plant, you know, I mean, it's sort of Queensland. And,
0: and relatively slow growing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what,
1: ultimately quite a big tree. Yes. Game. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so Michaela, yeah. what sort of light uh, are your plants in and what potting mix do you use?
2: Yeah, so it kind of varies. Um, in terms of where I place them, one thing that I'll definitely suggest is that they do not like change. They like to say, once you put them in the spot, don't move them because they get upset. <laughs> um, I've found that my ferns especially the scrambling ground fern really loves the bathroom mm-hmm. um, I in my lounge room there's a lot of natural light so I actually have a plant stand like a shelf um, so with that one I keep most of my native plants on that but then in my room it has a lot less light um, so I will keep orchids in there, I'll keep um, the kangaroo vine in there. I do actually keep the um, the ficus in there, the Morton Bay fig, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, I just try and put them in the sunniest spot in the house, really, not so it gets blasting afternoon sun or, or anything, but just enough so that it gets sun throughout most of the day. Um, so, yeah, I just try to keep that in mind. Um, in terms of potting mixes that I use, so generally – As A.B. has suggested before, um, using indoor potting mix is always great, which I've experimented with that. But generally, as I said before, I keep a lot of my pots, a lot of my plants in black plastic pots so they can have good drainage and everything, and then I'll pop them in a cover. So I actually use native potting mix quite often. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yeah, because of the good drainage, I feel like it doesn't retain too much moisture and get gnats and things like that in Uh it. So, yeah, I've kind of worked with, yeah, indoor potting mix and native potting mix and kind of just alternated between that sort of. But also, obviously, I use orchid mix um, for my orchids, um, which is like – it's almost like a a mulch, like a bit of a bark. So it's not like proper soil or anything. It's just, yeah, quite chunky and – very, very good drainage. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, I have to say, I'm having some success with indoor plants as well. Um, one of the ones um, was actually a monstera. Uh, Delicia, oh, yeah. so which of course is um, extremely vigorous and, and this is a plant that was sentimental because it was growing in Ray's mum's garden and she passed away and, and it had almost taken over the back garden and we hacked it right back and, and, and took a root back home and uh, I put it in the ground and didn't think anything more of it and mm-hmm. then it sprouted a leaf and then it sprouted another one and then it sprouted another one and I thought okay it's now time you're not going to take over the veggie garden so it's time to take you out so I um, yeah, did a bit of a, an operation on it and dug the whole thing out and repotted it and uh, it's survived beautifully and is putting up new leaves and I have to say it puts up the, that long uh, sheath and then the leaves slowly unfurl because we all know how big the Monstera leaves are and that just to watch them unfurl out of the sheath is quite incredible but um, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, the cockies have only attacked it at once, so that's handy. Um, they, they've pruned it back for me as, as they like to. But yeah, I'm certainly having success with the bird's nest fern as well. As you said, Michaela, it's one of the ones which really doesn't need you to do anything. I soak it every now and again, um, mm. in a seaweed solution and off it goes again. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just. The, the common go-to plant is the Ripsalis, isn't it? For indoor plants. True. So I've, I've got, I don't know, four or five different species of Ripsalis, mm-hmm. um, in the place. And they're like the bird's nest birds. They're epiphytes. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow in the canopy of, of large rainforest trees, um in the, Central America and uh, Northern, uh, Southern America. Um, and again, they just don't need much care at all. You know, they can dry out. Extre- they can be extremely dry between waterings and it just doesn't seem to affect them and they'll even flower. Um, so imagine the bird's nest ferns and so on are exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Do you have any trouble with scale insect on them, Evan?
1: Um, not so far. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't had any, uh, anything on them at all.
2: Yeah. They've
1: just been growing really well.
2: i gonna... uh,
1: Maybe it's neglect.
2: I was going to suggest actually like one thing that I've noticed since growing native indoors is that I've pretty much had no pests. But that might also be due to like creating good airflow, managing watering, things like that. But that's one thing that I've really noticed. Like I might have had the tiniest little bit of scale on my orchid, but that's it. Mm. Nothing else.
0: Yeah. 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 Someone has... um, Rung in just to remind people that with all the rain we've having, just to empty our any saucers or anything outside that have got water in them, just to reduce our mozzie population, um, mm. which is pretty good. And someone is asking, That's uh, true. having a
1: having a hunt around the property for. Things that are holding water is a very, very good idea.
0: Yep, yep. And um, someone would like to know, are we going to put photos of these things up on the socials? And yes, we are. So Liz will put those yeah. up later for us. Um, they'll be on Instagram and on Facebook. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put them. I'll through.
2: also be po- making another post as well on my Instagram about everything that I've spoken about today too. Ah, uh,
0: goody. And your Instagram is Regal regalregnans? Yeah. Yep. Beautiful and um Evan, your Auckland landscape. Yeah, Oka. O- landscape. landscape. God, I can never get it right. Sorry. It's <laughs> <That's> all right. <laughs> I swear every time it's a, it's a mental block <laughs> with me, it really it's. Um, and it's yeah. landscape, not landscapes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've put a, a few uh, I think the last three posts have been of parts of my own garden, which I don't often put on. So um yeah, that's something a little bit different.
2: Yeah. Evan, I just wanted to comment on that. I saw you did a post of your sunk bush mounds. Yes. In the garden. They look amazing. Um, how did you how did you go about that? Did you move like a lot of earth to make huge mounds or how did you how did you do that?
1: Yeah, so when we first came here, um, the house was very much in a hole. So um, so we moved Uh, About a thousand cubic meters of ground around the house to open it up, and a lot of it went away. But we kept about 600 here um, and built up these triangular pyramids. Yeah. Um, One one which is about 30 meters long. um, Uh Yeah. uh, And up to sort of three meters tall. Um, So the and we used just the subsoil, so we had limited weeds. Um, and then planted them. But it's been a really long, long, uh, you know, gestation. So I did that when we first came here. So it's like, there's like 16 years old. And yeah. some of them are still wow. not fully covered in. And they do take a lot of work. Mm. Um, and I have a little contraption that, um, with a plank on it, that I can rotate onto the mound um, with a seat at the end, an old seat, steel seat base. So that you can walk up the plank without standing on the plants.
2: Oh, that's so cool.
1: That has become that's that's been the thing that's turned the corner. I actually nearly pulled them all out, got mm. an ex estiv- excavator and pulled them all out about five years ago. Mm. Because everywhere every time you'd walk you'd break. And mm. you break then you open up locations for weeds to grow. Um but mm. now they uh yeah, look it's just it's a bit of a novelty. They're they're sort of um little bit artistic, I suppose. Like there's yeah. nothing much to them apart from that. Um, they are planted on the northern side of our property, which means that, you know, that's probably where a bushfire is going to come from. So that, that does sort of help a little bit. Mind you, it does burn very, very well because I do burn weeds around the place and sort of set things on fire to see what will happen. Um, and saltbush does go up because it carries a lot of um, dead material underneath. Mm. And that's true with a lot of, a lot of natives, so, for example, Dianella um, is often sort of said to be a good plant for fire-prone areas. But it is if you burn it every couple of years. Mm. If you don't, or, or cut it back, because if you don't, they actually carry a lot of dead material within the mounds mm. and they go up unbelievably. Uh, Corrier is the same. Corrier is often said to be a good and look, they don't carry a lot of oils, so I suppose you know that that is a benefit.
0: Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it?
1: It's and, all relative. Mm. So, but I guess the thing is, is that you know you really do have to understand that all these things burn, mm. um, and 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 burn quite readily. Gania is the most extraordinary um, plant. You have to be very careful burning Gania. Yeah. Um, you'll get three meter flames mm. out of a fairly small patch, but it. Makes for a much better plant. If, so I do bits of burning around the place, uh, relatively regularly. And that's the best way to maintain it because that way, um, you don't get that build up. Um, but yeah, but the Rigodian mounds, I mean, I love them. They just have these little vistas through the front yard and, mm. um, well, they're just a bit it. of a novelty.
2: I was going to say like the first thing that came to my mind when I saw it was very sculptural and it looked like a sculpture in itself, not even just a garden bed. And I think that's that's really great that you can kind of achieve that in the garden. And yeah, it looked really great. And also because it's native, not that I'm biased. but uh...
1: <laughs> 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 and are very, very tough and very adaptable plants, isn't
2: yeah.
0: it? Brigadier Yeah, Yeah. Guys, um, uh, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm joined by Evan Gorky and Michaela Hamilton. And I should mention that with the um, – I talked about the Yarra Valley Plant Fair earlier um, and I actually forgot to mention that we have three single passes uh, to give away for that uh, so each one is one ticket only um, so if you want to give us a call um, so that the Yarra Valley Plant Fair is on next weekend uh, both on Saturday and Sunday and it's at Quail Road in Wondon and if you want to um, put your hand up for a free ticket Call us on 94190155 and Virginia will send out your ticket. So sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, I have to say, I would love a free ticket. (laughs) Barrow
2: Valley is actually my area. (laughs) Michaela's put her hand up already. in. Yeah. Call
1: in quickly. Beat Michaela.
0: Uh, Evan, you've got a um, a plant that you wanted to talk about.
1: Oh, I do. Um, I've got wigandia uh, here. I, I thought because you two are just native gurus, that I thought I'd better grab something that's not native. So just to I went out totally to
0: bamboozle garden. us, is that is that
1: what it was about? I went out into the garden to get I don't
2: know. It's <laughs> so beautiful. That. So. Well, couldn't couldn't anyway, you get a
1: bigger um, piece? Yeah, well, well, you know, you can just cut a, <laughs> cut a little tree. Just cut a whole branch off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, um, but have a look at the size of the leaves. They are, and, and look, that one's getting a bit old, but it is a monstrous leaf. It's about 50 centimetres long um, and about 30 centimetres wide. Um, not a plant for the faint-hearted, Um, and not a plant for small gardens. Mm -hmm. Um, it does sucker, uh, all over the joint. Um, and, uh, and it has to be regularly controlled. Uh, but it just forms the most amazing plant thicket. Bees love it. Mm -hmm. Um, and at this time of year, it has these wonderful, uh, lilac spires of, of flowers on all the all the new growth tips. So I manage it in a clump, um, where basically just go through and cut it essentially down to ground, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and thin it back, bit like you would with raspberries. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, it's a it's a similar sort of thing. You, you've really got to pull it out from where you don't want it. And it's relatively slow-growing, so you can pull it out. It, it's not something that will get away on you, and it's probably easier than raspberries, to be fair. Um, but it is it is just a fantastic uh, plant when it's up and doing its thing. And I, I suppose if you let it just grow into a tree, it'll get four or five metres tall, mm-hmm. um, and it'll end up in a massive thicket. Like in a suburban block, it'll just take over the whole place. Um but if you, um, if you're regularly trimming it and, um, and, and cutting it down to, down, down low, you can keep it into more of a, just a small thicket. So it's the multi-trunked, um, plant. Uh, and then you get a lot more flowers as well because you've got all that new growth coming up. So it's a little bit like, uh, Melianthus. If some people grow Melianthus, um, it's a similar way of managing it, but it's, it's neater if you cut it all back mm-hmm. and let it go again. Of course, then you end up with a massive hole in the garden for a while. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's just part of the deal. But, um, yeah, look, I really love Wigandia. I think it's a wonderful plant. It's a little bit spiky as well. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't look spiky at all. That, well, it's got sort of, I wouldn't say spiky, but it's got like, uh, hairs all over it. Mm-hmm. So when you're pulling it out and so on, it's, it's a good idea to wear gloves because you get all these little sort of pins into your, into your hands. But um, So it sounds terrible, doesn't it? It sounds <laughs> like a terrible plant. But it looked
0: amazing. <laughs> like I can imagine in the garden it would just be very striking.
1: Yeah. Well, because the flower heads are so massive. So mm-hmm. the flower heads are, I don't know, maybe half a metre in size, uh, both vertically and, and horizontally. So it does form just this this wonderful look. And and when it's coming up in its new leaves in spring, um, they're so fresh and so massive that it's Mm. also just a a really lovely feel in the garden.
0: Mm. Mm. Very good. And do you use it in any of your other landscape work?
1: Well, uh, I mean, most of our work is commercial, as in... um, Schools and early learning and that sort of thing. So it's not really an appropriate plant for, for those settings. But um, for, for a large a large garden, uh, it, is, it is a great plant.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. And uh, we were talking earlier, you've recently been on a trip to
1: Cape York. Yeah, how about that? In between lockdowns. Oh, I was wondering really? how you managed
0: it. I thought it might have been a secret trip that we couldn't tell anyone about.
1: No, no, no. So, we, my son and I had planned a trip for a couple of years and we went to go last year, but of course that got shut down. Um, so, this year we took off knowing that Queensland wasn't open to Melbournians yet. So, we spent a bit of time around um, our Little Desert and Sunset National Park, and that was fantastic. There was nobody there. Hmm. It's holidays, and there was nobody there we didn 't see anybody in both of those parks um, and then headed up through broken hill and and um, and western uh, central central queensland um, and then right all the way up into cape york and i 'll just i 'll share a couple of photos with you if you like um, so so that you can describe them so this is a um, on the way up you go through an area um, Sort of north of Barcaldon, So we're sort of talking central Queensland and the diversity of vegetation and stuff that we know mm. is, is really interesting. So this is a, um, rupestris, uh, your, your Queensland bottle tree, mm. but this is by far the biggest one I've ever seen. Mm. Its trunk was three meters across, um, growing in a small town called Tambo. So if anyone's heading up that way, Make sure you stop at Tambo. Have a skulk around and you'll find this tree. It is an absolute beauty. It must be 20 meters tall, um, and this enormous trunk. When you get up, up into these areas, uh, you actually, the you, you increase in elevation. Mm -hmm. So you see, um, you know, other like lemon scented gums grow there naturally. Mm. It's one of the two populations that, um, so, there's two subspecies, um, and, uh, Carimbia citriodora subspecies citriodora is the one that hangs out up in this sort of high uh, plateau country. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting to see, uh, plants that we grow all the time mm-hmm. and see them growing in their natural environment. And so, you know, surrounded by, um, gra- so they're in grasslands. Generally, mm-hmm. um, so you see these gorgeous white trunks coming out of fabulous grasslands. Um, the uh, um, the other the, there's other bracky that all grow up through that area as well, um, and yeah, just heading up. Um, the other thing we saw right at the at the tip was uh, Melia.
0: Okay, oh. beautiful. That's massive. Yeah, so the so, white cedar.
1: Yeah, white this, So we grow melia here all the time. Usually, the well for us, we grow the non-fruiting variety, um, uh, which is uh, called elite. Uh, but melia, this was right at the tip of Cape York, and that's taken with a telephoto lens because I was sitting in the campground thinking that looks awfully <laughs> like a melia way over there, <laughs> and and sure enough, you know. So again, it's just interesting to see. These plants in the wild. I mean, it's no different to years ago, you know, driving through Spain and sort of screeching to a halt to see Heliborus corsicus growing on the side of, side of a cliff and thinking, oh, that's why it's quite drought tolerant. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Side of a cliff. Um, so that was the, the same with that. But probably the most, um, fascinating, uh, uh, plant that we, that we saw, um, was was a grevillea, Um, and it was growing in... I'll just have to see if I can find it. Here we go. So there's a place up up in Cape York. So anyone that's going to Cape York and is interested in plants, you must do as many side trips as possible because a lot of people just drive to the tip and then drive back. Mm -hmm. And really... Although there's some interesting things right at the very top. The plant life as you get down is amazing. Um, and you get into some of the heathlands, for example, um, uh, the black she oak, which grows at my place, yeah. probably your place in failure, probably, yeah. probably AB. It also grows on Cape York. Yeah. So we were driving through these heathlands and we think, gee, that looks awfully like, um, the allocated literalis, and sure enough, it is. So we've got this plant that grows all the way up the, the east coast, all the way up to there. Um, but the, it's a very, very wild place. And, um, the, 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 um, here at Usher Point, which is on the east coast, um, extremely windy. And you can see um, down down at the the bottom here. There's these grevilleas. You see them inland further. They'll be four metres tall. Mm. Beautiful yellow flower, full of honey. Um, here on the coast, they were thirty centimetres tall. That's how windy it was. Mm. Um, And uh, I I just think that's one of those interesting things. When you see a plant growing in certain situations, you might think, oh, that's the perfect plant for my place. (laughs) But you've got to consider the conditions that it's growing in because just around the corner from here, there was one that was three metres tall. Mm.
2: That's the thing about coastal plants. Mm. I love that about coastal plants is how the landscape kind of sculpts those plants. Um and how hardy they are as well. Um, yeah, it's really great.
0: And that, yeah. one of the things that I love is that, as you say, Evan, there can be these plants which are indigenous to so many different uh, parts of Australia, and in each of those areas there are subtle and not so subtle differences in the plant and t- in terms of its growth habit. And, and a lot of the time that their DNA has set. So if you buy a, a plant that comes from that area, for example, with that grevillea, you, you, that DNA may have set, and you might end up with a real stunted grevillea so to speak rather than the taller three meter variety yeah, yeah that's right and, and that's the yeah, like one of the plants that i brought in to talk about today was the chrysocephalum apiculatum and that is indigenous to much of australia and it is a fantastic ground cover it is never not in flower um but there are again really um, subtle differences in the leaves the, some will have gray big leaves some will have gray really small leaves they'll be green sort of more um, elongated leaves some will be a little bit higher off the ground some will be extremely low to the ground so there's a lot of variation depending on on where they actually come from
1: mm. Mm. yeah absolutely Chrysocephalum, there's a lot of uh, apiculatum, there's a lot of selected varieties now up there. So oh. um, you can really choose, you know, the bigger, greyer leaves or the, the smaller leaves. or I don't know whether Ramicissimum is still in the apiculatum uh, mm. spe- uh, species or not, but Ramicissimum is just a wonderful, really fine-leafed one that, we used to use a lot years ago, but it's been harder and harder to sort of come across. Mm-hmm. I just put it in a plan yesterday actually, for ah. the first time in a long time. Yeah, we we uh, sell it. Oh, you it. can come
2: to my work to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: I put about four hundred in or something. So
2: <laughs> Yeah. Because even at work we have like nine different types of grass cephalum so and that as A B said, there's also such seed variation in it too, so like they might just be called yellow buttons, but then one of them will have slightly greener leaves, one of them. You know, there's such variation in them, but they're all mm. so hardy. And mm. as AB said, flower for so long, and the bees love
0: them. The bees do love them, and the butterflies. Uh, what do yeah, you... and
1: they regenerate really well, don't they? So, you know, they're a really good edge plant. You know, if you're looking for an edge plant that um, is going to slow the blackbirds down from flicking mulch all over your footpath... Chrysocephalum mm-hmm. epiculatum is a, is a fabulous plant for that. And they, i um, I mean, Ramacissimum, we used to cut it back every year, pretty much, because underneath it would get its new foliage from the base. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd cut it back and you'd get this beautiful new flush again. I don't know if that's the same with all the particular Yeah,
0: it pretty much is. They're sort of suckering and I grow a number in pots and I pack them back when they start looking a bit scrappy and then they just pop back up again and off they go. Mm.
1: Mm. And talking about flowering all the time, I mean, they probably will flower for 10 months of the year. Oh,
0: without a doubt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So a wonderful plant. Can I just show you? One more plant here. This might be one for, for your indoor plant selection, Michaela. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: this is the ant's plant.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, yep. People should look this one up, um, the ant's plant. It um, Ants live in it, so it looks like an orchid. It's an orchidy-looking plant growing on the side of trees. In this photograph, they're sitting on the side of eucalyptus, but um, they're often... Uh, on the side of melaleucas, um, but they grow just like an orchid on the side of a tree. So I imagine um, you could treat them in the same way. Uh, but they have a symbiotic relationship with ants. So they have a big bulbous base, and I guess the leaves look a little bit like frangipani. So you have a big bulbous base that's on the tree, and it, it, it's the size of a, a football. Uh, or even a little bit bigger. And then it has these trunks that come out with, um, frangipani like leaves at the ends. Um, uh, and the ants live in them. And obviously it, their excretions are, are useful for the plant. Um, and for the ants, it's just a wonderful house. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yes, when you, when you're going up through places like Cape York, you, you just have to stop. You've got to stop and you've got to look up. Because there's lots and lots of things going on in trees that if you if you don't stop and there's, it's thousands of kilometers but you have to stop and mm. have a look um, it's amazing what you can see growing up in the trees.
0: do you know what the botanic name of that one is Evan?
1: Um, I did look it up this morning. So it was this call, morning, it's, it's called it's the ant plant. Uh, so Myr- Myrmacodia. Oh,
0: okay. Because when you first put the photo up, I thought, oh, is that a mistletoe? It sort of almost has mistletoe qualities. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Mermicodia. We, um, we spend a lot of time on the way up stopping at all the sort of roadhouses and so on looking for a book on Cape York plants. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have to have a book with you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we finally found one. And so uh, they they had a really wonderful description in there on that plant, but um, the ants plant it was just the most fascinating thing.
0: And could you see the ants coming and going?
1: Well, they were too high up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they were probably ten metres up. Yeah. Which is probably a wise place to be, Cape York, given it you know the floodwater. exactly.
0: Yeah. Did you encounter any floodwater?
1: No, no, it was, it, it was, it was relatively dry. Mm-hmm. Um, we literally had drizzle every day though, um, which was, which was interesting, but, um, no, it was, it was quite dry. So mm. that, that was June. We had to camp on the Queensland border for two nights and the truck stopped waiting for the Queensland border to open
3: mm.
1: <laughs> for Melburnians, you know, so we didn't take the plague, um, up into Queensland. Uh, but yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Journey and uh, so many great plants. The other thing that was going on up there, north of Weipa, in Marpoon there was a beach cleanup going on, and uh, it's called Reef Clean. Mm-hmm. Um, Tangara, I think, was the name. It's an organisation. They do it throughout Australia. It's it's a it's really I think fundamentally about looking after turtles, mm-hmm. but you can volunteer, so you can go up um, and and spend time cleaning cleaning beaches. And they were literally taking tonnes of plastic off the beaches, just absolutely tonnes. So one of the beaches that we stopped in at um, up that way, there was so much rubbish on the beach, like, especially thongs. Like, there's a lot of people going around with one thong. <laughs> um, and toothbrushes and sunscreen uh, bottles um, and water bottles, you know, drinking water bottles, lots of those. One, uh, ironically, had a label on it called Blue Ocean. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> sparkling water or something like that. Um, but you can you can go up, and what they do is they sort all the all the waste into different categories, you know, cosmetic, um, you know, uh, bottles and so on. They weigh it all, and and it's a global effort uh, to try and determine what. The, the main rubbish is so that then they can pressure companies to um to maybe change packaging or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it might be. Maybe tie thongs together. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, but um so it's it's worth if, if you are you know heading up up north, it is worth you know Looking up some of those some of those places, uh, some of those organisations to see whether or not um, you can help. Yeah.
0: Um, it must be. I find it interesting that that one particular beach had so much litter on it. it must be because of the ocean currents around that area pull it into that particular beach.
1: Um, no, I think it's all the beaches. It's just that these guys have been to the the other couple on the East Coast prior to us being there. Yeah. And we're not just talking little rubbish either. Like, there'll be chairs. Mm-hmm. There, there'll be um, the doors off containers, steel doors off containers. Massive objects that end up on the beaches because it's very, very wild coast, the East Coast in particular. I mean, the wind there... Is extraordinary. It, mm. It's just always the same. We, we were at Usher Point, and through a you know a sort of tennis ball sized rock up in there, and it and it blew about thirty meters mm. away. <laughs> you know that's that's the sort of wind, and, and so all that rubbish is coming up, and uh, and it's not all from Asia either. I mean, there was coal supermarket crates. Um, yeah, I'm just looking uh, looking
0: at the photo that you've got there. There's a lot of those enormous bags filled with rubbish. That's really sad. How often do they do the uh, clean up?
1: They do it every year, mm-hmm. um, and they rely on volunteers to do it. So, um, uh, I, I guess you, you could pretty much do it all through the dry season. You could just follow around um, and do it. And they um, they they have a tent there. They they, they feed the people. You know, the, the volunteers. Uh, they go out in the morning and, and collect the rubbish off the beaches and then they bring it back and sort it. And the sorting is the, is the big job. So they have these big benches that they tip all the bags out onto and then sort it into the different, um, different types of rubbish and then it all gets recorded and, um, you know, gets, um, uh, and and also into what can be recycled and what can't. be. So some goes off to be recycled, some obviously ends up in landfill yep. because it's not stuff that can can be recycled. But it yes. is frightening. Mm. Did you know of did you
0: know about the collection before you went up there or was it you just came upon it?
1: Yeah, we just stumbled upon it. Yep. So um we we um because we were two guys, we lost track of what day it was. Um and realized that we were one day ahead of schedule. Um and, uh, so we thought, oh, what are we going to do with our day? So we drove over to Weeper and Marpoon and, uh, and, and it was at the Marpoon beach that, um, these people were cleaning up. So we spent the afternoon, um, helping them count bottles, <laughs> oh. count plastic bottles, but there was also a, um, uh, uh, we went, we were told that there was a turtle nest on the beach. And we went out and had a look, and sure enough, there was the turtle tracks going up the beach. Um, and there was a, a young Aboriginal fellow there who was uh, he, he was digging up the nest. You're depending, you're allowed to take Aboriginal people are allowed to take a certain amount of eggs out of out of each nest. Yep. Uh, we were chatting to him, um, and they, they're beautiful, large, white balls, um, and. Uh, so they either eat them fresh or mm-hmm. or cook them, but it's part of their their culture um, and the green turtles is the the ones they 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 harvest yep. and, and eat but there's lots of fascinating things that you can learn um by being up there and there's lots of very interesting people who are willing to to chat about the ecology or or um the plant life. We spend a lot of time driving around at night as well and walking uh, tracks at night. Because that's where you see all the snakes. Yep, yeah, beautiful. Um, and uh nightjar owls and all of those kind of things. So, yeah, look, um, for people who are into nature, into plants, um, Cape York is just a wonderful, wonderful place. But you have to be prepared and you, you need to go off and do the side trips.
0: Absolutely and you, of course you can clean up rubbish here in Melbourne too and uh, Rose our, our producer she coordinates a, uh, a monthly uh, street clean and she just put a note up on the computer just grab if you see rubbish just grab it before it enters the stormwater system and uh all play our part and uh yeah clean clean up our own streets as well. We don't need to go to Cape York to, to, to clean up rubbish. <laughs> oh they need all the help out there. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so true. Hey um Evan someone's just written in um asking about the name of your plant that you were talking about.
1: Oh the, the large leaf plant? Yep. So it's Megania? Uh W I G A N D I A. And there's really only one species kicking around that's available but Caracasana.
0: Okay. Is and the, is that sort of just a available from most nurseries or is it one that you might well, have to hunt for?
1: Very long time since I bought any, but I suspect um I suspect your minor would have it, Stephen Ryan would probably have it. Yep. Um I don't think it'd be in bunnings, yeah, but um, certainly be those those smaller nurseries.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um, John from Bondi Beach has just uh, written in to say he's loving the talk about wild plants. Thanks, uh, John. And Anne from Avondale Heights, she's got a seven-year-old strawberry guava that needs to be moved um, due to understory competition. When is the best time to move it? Any thoughts on that? So, a strawberry guava.
1: Yeah, I I would move it now. I think would be, would be fine because they, they probably like the warmth. Um, it'd be a bit like moving a citrus, I, I would have thought. So I'd, I'd be moving that now. They're not uncommon to be planted as quite big plants. And I know we moved some when I worked in North Queensland years ago. Um, we, we moved some. Fairly large ones, uh, so I'd have no problem uh, moving a strawberry guava. Yeah, uh, I think just take as big a root ball as you can. You can do. Yeah, um, and uh, drag a sheet or uh, a, a blanket or something underneath it as you dig it up. So dig it up, rock it backwards and forwards, and get get something under it, and then drag it out of the hole. Um and then plop it into its its new location. Again, probably not going to love wet feet. Yep. Strawberry guava, so mm-hmm. probably probably be a little bit careful at the moment.
0: And would uh, you prune back X amount of the foliage?
1: Oh it would depend how big it is. Um, uh, I don't I don't know that you would need to. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, would depend on how big it is though.
0: Be manageable. yeah 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 Yeah. hey Michaela how
1: much root system you take out
0: yeah true uh Michaela I know you love um you go down to Phillip Island a fair bit and you are often posting photos of your wild walks down there
2: yes so um my family have recently acquired a beach house down there and ever since um it's become my second home in a way um I don't know if you've noticed yet, but uh, native plants are my main passion. Um, (laughs) I hadn't noticed. (laughs) No. So so similar to what you were saying before, Evan, it's being in the wild and seeing these native plants grow in their natural habitat that you're just in absolute awe of. So um, probably, I've mentioned it before, but. It's just down the road from the house. The Cape Woolen My Walk is probably one of my all-time favourites. And last time I visited was, like, the middle of winter. I've come back now in spring, and it's so beautiful seeing the change in vegetation and what's out in flower. Um, yeah, as we were saying before, so, like, things like white correa, like, that was out before when... Um, I was there during winter, but seeing that, and then I started to see the tea tree, coastal tea trees coming out, a few little buds popping out here and there, um, and the powers, Um seeing those, um, they create such a beautiful texture in the land. like the landscape is I would say it's really texturized, so yeah, you have the polls wisping and through the wind, and then you have the pig face, the carpabrotus, which is like a blanket of pink. And the noon flower, and you have the warrigal greens. And it's really interesting because I explored a bit more of the walk this time. And like when you're walking along the coastline, it is those smaller sort of ground covers and shrubs. And then as I walked more to the inside of it, I saw big banksia and you know, things like that. So I just love, one of my favourite parts about the island is just the diversity in vegetation of the coastal line versus the inland. Um, and, yeah, that's probably my favourite thing about it. I do love coastal plants, I've, <laughs> but, like, I'm not, like, I kind of really love them now because I'm being exposed to them more and learning more about them and even how I, I can use them in gardens too, like, you know, for someone who isn't the biggest fan of colour, um, coastal plants are a great, choice for that because as I said texture is such a key part in that lots of silvers greys neutral earthy sort of tones which I really love um it was funny when my um my parents first got the beach house they had these huge banks here integra in the background and um my stepdad, dad he's a gardener and I said to him like don't you dare take down those integra (laughs) (laughs) But um, we've had uh, black, yellow-tailed cockatoos in the backyard there, which is really awesome to see. They've been loving the banksias. Yeah, I just love it. And I love um, the cliff faces too and the rocks and seeing what little things grow in between that, which I think is just incredible that those plants are that hardy. Yeah, I love it down there. I love it. And I've still got so much more to explore and then to apply that into the own gardens that I do myself. How long it's a very,
1: very wild walk. Yeah, I um, yeah, love wild it. Wild How so long is it? You, 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 do all, you do see all those plants absolutely flattened to the ground. Yeah. Um, so it must look fabulous with all the power up in flower. If you just moving in yeah. the breeze.
2: If you go onto my Instagram, I did a post in it the other day, and I just recorded a video of just the wind sweeping. It's almost like a sea of... Grass, mm. like it's like a Van Gogh
0: weird. painting. Yes,
2: definitely.
0: <laughs> and and yeah. your regal regnans on Insta.
2: Regal regnans Yep, yeah.
0: yep. Beautiful, beautiful.
2: How long does a Cape Willow walk take? uh Well, it depends how much you love plants. But that's you true. Yes, do. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took, me it took you three two days. Hours. <laughs> a few hours for me because I'll stop and take photos of plants pretty much the whole way. Uh, other times I'll because I like to go for runs and like keep fit. So other times I'll go there and I'll just. Run the circuit, um, but I'd say probably like comfortably, like because it's tricky with Cape Wilmite, Because you can do a loop around the whole thing, you can cut through the middle, you can kind of choose how long you stay there. So I'd say maybe hour and a half, mm-hmm. two hours mm-hmm. or so. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great one. My next area I want to explore a bit will probably be Churchill Island. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard there's a lot of quite a bit of rare vegetation there. Um, so yeah, I'll be heading there next time down the island.
1: Yeah, we had a similar thing on the trip, you know. Uh, I'd be saying if you go, we really need to stop, we need to, we need to photograph, oh, no. Yeah. We'll, oh, we'll, have yeah. to, we'll stop at
2: the next one, we'll stop, we'll stop yeah. at the next one. Well, that's why yeah. I sometimes kind of why I prefer to go by myself. Like, my mum will yeah. be like, Oh, do you want me to come with you? and I'm like, do you want to go for three hours or one hour? <laughs> because all my friends and family know that about me though. Like, cause I'm from the Mount Dandenong ranges. So I do a lot of hiking around here and you know, any person who ever comes for a walk with me anyway, even if it's just a suburban area, I'll stop and be like, oh, look at that. like do you know what that is? Then <laughs> I can't help it. It's how my brain works. Like everywhere that I go, I'll, be saying plant names in my head as I'm walking past things. But I think, yeah, being down at the island, it's also a challenge for me too because it's kind of um, pushed me in that new direction of coastal plants and mm-hmm. learning those and also IDing plants too, um, which is always a great skill that I like to kind of keep up. And I also like sharing it with colleagues and other people as well. It's like, oh, what do you think this could be? And, you know, I like um, problem solving that as well
0: yeah and seeing things in pots in a nursery is one thing yeah. but then when you sometimes when you see them out in the wild, you're like Oh that's what that actually looks like yeah. that's yeah. what it that's what it's but supposed even, to look like
2: absolutely, and I think it's even um, yeah like even because we sell indigenous tube stock at work as well, and a few of those plants are coastal so I'll see this tiny little um, like malaleuca in a tube and then I'll see it out in the wild and I'm like, whoa yes. you know, like it's really cool to see that. Um, and yeah.
0: Yeah, you know you uh, talked about the, the Warrigal Greens, the, the Tetragona tetragonoides and um I've got a couple in pots and Um, They they are one of the ones that you can use as a substitute for spinach. Uh, You do need to cook it. Um, But it's interesting because through the winter months, it sort of, it didn't really die back, but it certainly didn't look particularly happy. Uh, As soon as that weather started warming up, it just went rampant again. And it's fantastic because it's a great little hiding spot for the skinks, They love it in there and they can, um, dash away from the, the chickens when the chickens are out and about. Um, unfortunately they caught a skink the other day, but usually they'll, they'll dash under the Warrigal greens. But yeah, it's such a tough little plant and if you, such a vigorous grower. Yeah. If you want to cover a large area. Well, that that (laughs) is true. Yes. If you, if you want (laughs) to cover a large area, um, put it in and pretty much ignore it. It's one of those plants that much prefers being ignored.
1: How do you prepare it?
0: Um, You can either blanch it. If if you're adding, if you want to add it to a salad, you just blanch it for a few seconds and then yeah, chuck it straight into cold water. But otherwise, you can add it to stir fries or casseroles. Mm. So pretty much exactly like spinach, or has more more body to it than a spinach leaf, so it doesn't Mm. collapse completely. But it's Mm. um, yeah, nice to have.
2: thinking about when I was down at the beach to actually was, it's like a platter of bush food down there as well because you do have the warrigal greens, you have the saltbush berries, you have the pig face as well so it's kind of like as I'm walking I'm like you know what, if I get lost I'm okay because (laughs) (laughs) I've got a platter of bush food I'll be fine Um, but back to the um, the warrigal greens because at our work we have Um, the Pink Bart Cafe. So they always incorporate bush food ingredients into all of their foods. And so I've had a few chances to try it out in like savoury muffins, soups, things like that. And it's fantastic. It's very tasty.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many bush foods that we can use. I think we're just just getting to the tip of them, really. I think there's something like Mm. 6,000 that are edible. But I, I sort of put them into different categories. I put them in the category of ones that you can... Eat that you won't die, but you wouldn't necessarily serve up for, for <laughs> as a, at a dinner party. And then there's ones which are a little bit more sort of kitchen friendly, I suppose, like the, the yeah, the, the midgen berries. And I mean, they're, they're a fantastic little bush. Um, uh, the, yeah. the midgen and berries.
1: Nice them at work. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, well, the and, other plant, oh, they're
2: ready,
1: the other plant you'd find out at Ulamai would be the sandfire, um, wouldn't it?
2: Which one's that? So,
1: Sandfire, it's, uh, silicicornia. It, it, it grows, um, mm. on the, uh, on the water margin. It's, and it's, it's, it's very sulky. It, it's, um, mm. it's sort of cylindrical, vertical leaves. Mm. Um, it grows down, uh, certainly around, um, summers down Western Port. Grows around there. So I imagine it grows mm. around Phillip Island as well, given it's just yeah. the other side of the bay.
2: The uh, fire.
0: That's one of the ones that you see for sale. Um, at, I'm pretty sure I saw it for sale at the Victoria Market, actually. It's one of the yeah, ones yeah. which chefs are, are really getting into now. Yeah, one okay. of the bush Yeah, it's, it's
1: got a really lovely, salty um, flavour to it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So I guess ah. it's a little bit like Arthur yeah. Botus. In, yeah. In yeah. that it's that sort of fleshy, Brown. but that's it yeah so there you won't starve (laughs) at all will you
2: no i won't it's all good i'm just looking at it now it's i love the texture of it it's like a yeah yeah, really similar to like a succulent sort of like
1: yeah it grows along the um along the creek that comes into the beach at summers it grows along there
3: Mm.
0: Mm. Evan, evan are you growing many veggies at the moment
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, so I have the, um, the chicken area, you know, that has four tractors uh-huh. in it for, for planting. Um, so at the moment I think we're harvesting leeks and, um, uh, different brassicas out of there and I've got one tractor just full of peas that are, that are coming. Uh, I've just finished the beetroots out of there. What
0: do you mean by tractor? Um, sorry? What do you mean by Tractor.
1: Oh, it's what the, it, my old permaculture book calls it, mm-hmm. you know, that I bought in 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill it, Mollison? It's, uh, you have spaces that, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you have spaces uh, cordoned off from the chickens. Mm-hmm. So you have a chicken run and then you have four well, or however many gates. I think in in that book, in the old book, it, it's circular. So that the chickens are sort of in the middle and, and you let them into whichever wedge. Um, mine, mine is rectangular, um, and I have four spaces for growing plus a chicken run. Mm-hmm. So, um, and four gates that come out into that chicken run. So I have um, one or two of those four spaces open for the chickens at any one time, mm-hmm. and then they get they get planted. And uh, so, at some points, there's only really one for the chickens to be in because the other three are planted. And then, um, and the chickens go in and clean up all the buds and, and so on in the meantime. And they love getting into the one that you finished harvesting from. I mean, that's like party day.
0: (laughs) What sort of chickens Um, do you have?
1: Uh, just, just the regular old, um, Isa Browns. Isa Browns. Yeah, Isa Browns. Yeah, yeah. I am going to get the new improved version. Um, of Isa Brown, which, uh, apparently is available at a place down at Merrick's. So if you go down and get a, get a few of those. But yeah, look, I like the Isa Browns because they're just productive. And, yeah. Although they're, they're cute as well.
3: What, what's and the we the like them in the orchard
1: it? as well, but we have to hoard them up to the orchard. So the orchard's got a, is, is caged area as well. Yeah. So they often spend their days, uh, up in there, which is, which is actually really, really good. That's been great. because <laughs> um, they really sort of keep it, keep it under control um, hopefully eat all the coddling moth yep. if there is any, yep. not that I've had a lot of coddling moth over the years um, uh, the only thing is you've got to protect young trees so you know you've got to put wire or something down underneath the young trees otherwise they'll just dig to high heaven looking for whatever's in the in the pots that have gone in there.
0: Or, or dust um, bathing it's either scratching or dust bathing
1: yeah. 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 yeah, but they're fabulous gardens, I mean they eat all the wheat, there's certainly the grass seed, mm-hmm. um, they, they'll, they'll eat all that first. Uh, oh, well, they eat the insects, then yeah. they'll eat the seeds and then they'll eat the grasses. So it's actually been over the last few years been really good for the, um, for the orchard to keep, keep it all under control because mm-hmm. I just let it go a bit wild because yeah. I feel like that's quite good in, you know, ecology wise to have lots of things going on, but it's it's good because it, uh, it the chickens just sort of moderate that a little bit
0: yeah fabulous i we've sort of um getting our veggie garden back up and happening again and um, I mean one of the reasons why it's sometimes a bit bare is because we do have chickens in the same area and um, so I pretty much have to cordon everything off which is very frustrating Um, but I'm recently trialing a new way of growing strawberries and um, I'm putting them in pots um, into a premium potting mix and then I'm sort of burying the pots by about a quarter and with the idea that um obviously the the pots don 't dry out as much, and then they, there's a bit of mm. wicking action that happens from the soil as well, and also the strawberries essentially just hang over the edge of the pots and um don't don 't hit the ground at all, so it's uh yeah mm. just trialing a new way yeah, yeah, so phil dudman, who's uh, the horticultural editor of the gardening australia magazine that 's a, a a trick that he uses. And um, yes, I've, I've put that up on my Instagram. If people want to have a look at it, that's Habitat Guru. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was a unique way, and it certainly seems to be working. They're, they're flowering prolifically and uh, looking good.
2: Because I've even found that strawberries, when I've grown them in veggie patches, that they go nuts and they take over it, take over quite a lot of it. So I think that's a great idea, keeping it in pots to kind of maintain it a little bit better.
0: Yeah. What are what are you showing us here, Evan? This looks like a, well, a lonely so chicken.
1: That's, that's the chook house, so that that's the that's the, the cord and off that's two spaces there yep. where the veggies are growing. Um with old fly door um gates. Mm-hmm. It's really a very, very good way of growing <coughs> growing vegetables. Okay, so so
0: the chicken. chickens stay in the middle. And and is that um sand that they're on?
1: Yeah, I put sand down for the main run. Mhm. Um, so it's actually crushed rock underneath, which was already there, um, and sand over the top because one of the things you see a lot in chicken runs is mud. Yep. Um, so the idea was to make the chicken run quite well-drained. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so under the house, because the house is elevated, they can dust bathe under there because it's really dry. Um, but the sand just means that the space they're in, um, you know, day-to-day, Stays nice and dry and just doesn't turn to mud. Otherwise, they end up with duck feet.
0: Okay, and and is there much cleaning up of their waste?
1: Um, well, in the little house, um, there there obviously <coughs> there is because most of their waste is is sort of under the purchase um, So, apart from that, no, you don't you don't have to do really anything in the um, in the in the um, chicken area at all yeah um, because you're just growing in it. Mm-hmm. so um no i'll i'll just get another another image
0: up yeah well while while you're doing that i'll just mention that jill from herb society rang so g'day jill um miss having a chat with you um you usually ring in to say what's going on with the herb society um she's saying that all the spinach grown in brazil is warrigal greens because it's too Ah. hot there for the average variety so that that's interesting isn't it
2: pretty cool yeah
0: very very cool indeed Uh, yeah, and so, Michaela, you got any veggies happening at your place, or you... No, I don't, (laughs) I don't,
2: I'm renting, so, um, I don't have a veggie patch yet, Mm -hmm. but watch this space, because when I have my farm one day, and my car (laughs) for you, it'll be filled with vegetables, (laughs) but my granddad, um, he has an incredible veggie garden, um, and he's made the one, one of the main reasons why I'm in horticulture now, but, um... His, gut, his veggie garden is always absolutely thriving every time I go to go and see him. So he makes up for the veggies that I don't have. And I get to harvest those for myself too, which ben, is great.
0: Beautiful. What's he growing at the moment?
2: Uh, so he had a lot of beans. Um, he also had um, – He had beans or broad beans? Broad beans, yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. He loves those. Mm-hmm. Um, so he grows quite a bit of them. He also still had a bit of spinach as well. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he had a bit of silver beet. He's keen to get his tomatoes at the moment, um, so he's he'll be planting those soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And and I suppose every time you go round, you um, get a basket full of goodies.
2: Well, it's not just from his garden that I get a basket of goodies. Um, he loves getting groceries for me as well. So he'll, like, pack me biscuits and things like that. So I'm very lucky. I'm very spoiled. I get fresh veg from the garden and I get tea and biscuits and things like that too.
0: So Sounds fabulous. Yeah, that is good going. <laughs> um, oh, so what, what are you guys going to be up to horticulturally wise and um, the ne- next sort of week, I suppose? Michaela, you'll uh, be at work.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm so excited for work. So I'll be at work tomorrow in the nursery yep. and um so yeah, Monday to Friday. Um and then today I was thinking of maybe checking out a few other nurseries. Um and just enjoying being able to go to retail nurseries again. So go see what's around. Um yeah, that's my um horticultural mm. plans for the rest of the day. What
0: mm. about you, Evan? Are you are you got any um big jobs on at the moment or small jobs or I'm sure you're pretty uh, busy well, always? Yeah,
1: we've got Massive amount of work on, so um, we're doing a brand new uh, secondary school at the moment. So that's that's uh, full on, that'll be for the next uh, four months or so. Um, but that is hopefully going to be extremely interesting, bringing in a lot of sort of um, local cultural elements into the landscape. Yeah. Uh, I can't say too much about that yet because you're not really allowed to talk about. Yeah, these things too much till, till they're much further down the track. Um, uh, but gardening wise, I, I've got to start lifting my garlic because uh, some of the garlic that I planted very early is is done, mm-hmm. and it's getting very wet sitting in the ground right now. Yeah. Um, but I planted about three hundred bulbs last last year uh, or this year, um, so sort of hopefully to get ahead of it a little bit because we always run out. So, you know, you've got to keep enough for planting the next year. So, I went a little bit crazy um this last year and, and planted a lot of what we had rather than eating it. And have um, you found get, a particular variety?
0: Have you found a particular variety does better for you?
1: Uh, I like the I think it's Munro's Purple, I <laughs> think it's called. Uh I really like that, just the regular white Austral one. But to be fair, mine are all mixed up because I'm pretty lazy. Um, You can see, though, when you plant them, which ones – some of them come up really late. Like, they take a lot longer to come up. It's clearly a different variety. So, if I was smart, I'd actually um, mark those and uh, keep them aside. But I'm not. I'm very lazy. And uh, I just dig them up and eat them or replant them. But, um, yeah, look, it's great, great time for garlic right now.
0: Yeah, and do you find that you you sort of, none of, none of it goes off? In the ground? No, we, after you've harvested it and obviously dried it out.
1: Oh, yeah, um, so we tend to uh, break it up into individual um, pieces and freeze them.
0: Yep, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool, yep.
1: Yeah, just freeze them in jars. Yep. Um, so you just pull them out, put it on the bench for five minutes, it's soft and off you go.
0: Yep, beautiful. Hey, guys, look, I would like to thank both Evan Gorky and Michaela Hamilton. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Gardening Show and sharing your knowledge. Thanks so much to Rose for uh, doing the phones and uh, sharing your knowledge. And uh, thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us. And we will be here again next week. So until then, bye-bye for now. Thanks, A.B.
1: Thanks, Thanks, A.B.
0: Bye.